1: Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Before we dive into today's interview, I wanted to remind you all to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. You can also visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com to listen. Make sure you're following us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And you can drop us a line by sending an email to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. With that, let's get into today's episode. My guest today is New York Times and USA Today, best-selling author of Star Wars Aftermath, as well as the Miriam Black thrillers, the Atlanta Burns books, Zeros Invasive, Wanderers, and the Book of Accidents. He's also worked in a variety of other formats, including comics, games, film, and television. A finalist for the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer and the co-writer of the Emmy-nominated digital narrative Collapsus, he's also known for his books about writing. He lives in Pennsylvania with his family and his his new book, Wayward, is out November 15th from Random House Worlds. It's Chuck Wendig. Chuck, hello. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. To start off, could you tell the listeners a bit about Wayward?
2: Oh, sure. Wayward is the follow-up to uh, my book, Wanders, which came out in 2019, which is about a uh, a people, mysterious people who uh, begin sleepwalking across the country for uh, unknown purpose and to an unknown destination, uh, and it coincides with a uh, devastating Pandemic, whoops, uh, <laughs> moving across America at the time called White Mask. And Wayward is the follow-up of that. Um, the sleepwalkers uh that were walking in wanders have now awakened. Uh, and it's the tale of the awakened.
1: What was it like to basically have this book come out in 2019 and then go into a pandemic?
2: Uh weird, really weird. I get a yeah. lot of emails for sure <laughs> about like, hey, so are you Mr. Thomas or what's your what's your set? Um, you know. I try to be even-handed about that. Obviously, the stuff that, for the most part, I predicted in that book were, you know, were not intentionally predicted, and and were, you know, you could argue easily predicted to to a degree. Like I wasn't, you know, coming up with like wild, you know, things out of nowhere. Like we, you know, we are aware that sometimes there's zoonotic pandemics that come out of uh, bat populations or other animal populations. It's not particularly odd. Um, and some of the stuff was just stuff I was seeing. The one thing that was weird was that uh, in the book. It's a, a, a algorithm, uh, um, a predictive intelligence called Black Swan that predicts the coming pandemic and decides to act on it. Um, whereas in reality, there was this uh, algorithm called Blue Dot that saw the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, about a week before it hit. And uh, I was like, oh, that's too creepy because like Black Swan and Blue Dot. I was like, Oh, no. So that one, I felt like I unleashed something a little bit. <laughs> I
1: I get it. I uh, I usually travel for work, and I travel quite a bit. And I think all of 2019, I found myself saying, "If I could just have a month off." So I had my I had my own moment of that where I was yeah. like, Ooh, "Okay, you got your month <laughs> for I got, sure. I sure yeah. got my month." We're yeah. starting traveling again in 2023. So yeah, yeah. I'm my just I'm and traveling for the first
2: time. Like I'm on a plane next week for the first time since before. Anyway. How does that feel? Terrifying, just terrifying. And now they're like, "Hey, there's like maybe a flu epidemic going on." I'm like, "No, not right now."
1: Like, I I'm already
2: wearing everything I can wear. What yeah. else do we have? Yeah, left? exactly. Can we? Can I be in cryogenic freeze for the flight? Can I just do that instead? Right. It's, yeah. Can I just be Bubble Boy
1: for this flight? Right, Bubble Boy.
2: Yeah. I'd be <laughs> it for that. I'll he wear it. it made. He did. Good job, Bubble
1: Boy. Uh, So what was writing like during the pandemic to go from already having that kind of like tinfoil hat conspiracy theory of how did you, how did you come up with this in your first book to then trying to write basically what's going on in in everyone's lives?
2: Yeah, nearly impossible at first. Like I, um, you know, for a long time, I prided myself on being someone who could write really in any situation, like I was a freelancer and I was good to hit my deadlines. And so like any turmoil or tumult that hit, I was like, I can, I can write my way through this. And then the pandemic hit, and I had a book to start writing and I was like, uh, maybe not today, maybe tomorrow. And then the tomorrow would come and I was like, Maybe not today either. And like weeks went by and then a month went by and I really didn't start writing until September, October after the pandemic. And, um, I mean, I would, I had two books to edit and editing worked really well because it was like it, sort of worked on a different part of my brain. It was like fixing things as opposed to just wandering wildly out into the landscape. Um, So, uh, you know, I, it just was like a slow and steady kind of a thing. Like it wasn't even steady, I should say. Sometimes it was like a 300 word day, sometimes a 3000 word day. And then, um, but I, I liken it to like, you know, if you broke your leg, they wouldn't be like, well, time to go run. And like, you know, but at the same time you have to commit to like the physical therapy of like, you eventually have to start moving that broken leg around and, so I just needed that time to get back on my feet, so to speak.
1: Yeah. I had to take the time to, to kind of regain your footing and, yeah. and get back into the space. Now, was this your first time experiencing almost that like writer's block
2: basically, or that kind of. Yeah. And yeah. in the sense of like a, uh, an absolute creative void. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't even that I didn't have ideas or I just, you know, almost it felt a like little a, too close to it home. Was a little too close, like a tender spot. And it was like, I don't want to poke this right now. And. I just can't quite get there. I mean, if I really was like under the gun, I maybe I could have forced my way through it though. I don't know that that would have been healthy. Right. Um, But it was hard. Yeah. I bet. Uh, So what got you into the kind
1: of post-apocalyptic, what draws you to this, the genre and writing these kind of end of days moments or, or even these kind of like our world, but so much worse.
2: (laughs) Sometimes that's what it is. It's because it's our world, but so much worse. So Uh, first of all it allows you to kind of contextualize like the stuff we're going through now in a bigger more bombastic way Um, but also you know I I find these kinds of stories comforting both to read and to write in some part because it is so much worse in the fiction so it's like oh well at least it's not (laughs) bad no matter what happened here like at least it wasn't we devastated all the country with a fungal pandemic so um sometimes that just helps um you know I read kinds of stuff like that when I was a kid swan song by Robert McCown was one of the first horror novels I read and it was I was very much a kid who was um afraid I was going to be vaporized in the middle of the night by a nuclear strike and so it's a book about a nuclear apocalypse which should have I think if you follow the logic it should have increased my anxiety over it but it did the absolute opposite um it just cut the teeth off of it and so I felt like that's kind of horror fiction to me. I mean, all science fiction and fantasy has a lot of value to sort of like, we're going to take the demons that we struggle with and then put them in this safer space to fight. Kind
1: of make them the demons, you know, as opposed to just big, massive pieces of
2: fear. Exactly.
1: Now taking an even bigger step back, of course, this is a question I'm sure you've gotten a thousand times, but what got you into writing?
2: Oh, um a, a deal with a devil at crossroads. So no, um, you know, I <laughs> that's it was how just, they all start. Right. It's how it all starts. We don't usually admit that, but it's time we writers admitted it. Um <laughs> no, I don't know. I you know, I read a lot, which was a thing. And so in reading a lot, you kind of I remember like there was a specific moment around eighth grade where I was like, Oh, wait, like these books cost money. And so then someone wrote it for money and that's a career. Like, I don't I don't know, because like your English class is sort of like, we're going to hand you things to read and you don't really think about like, these are old 100-year-old writers. You don't have to worry about how they made a living or what they do for insurance. So, um, you know, and even though you're buying books off a shelf, I don't know, the kids always have the greatest, it's always like, I'm going to be an astronaut. Ah, like whatever whatever that means. So that was like, I'm like, oh, I might maybe want to do this. And I was already what I feel like, you know, sort of a weirdly creative kid. I was always making stuff and drawing things. And so it just sort of made sense to put that um, you know, as a as a as a career path
1: forward. Absolutely. And that is a that is a really interesting point that kids for the longest time, maybe now that the internet is is so different and you can go on TikTok and see your favorite authors, you know, doing viral dances too. Uh not me i will not be that
2: one not that's not no one wants to see me doing that. no i you
1: know to all of the authors i've spoken to credit they're all actually just on there doing some sort of really creative analysis or looking at books from the past but it was a different world like i wouldn't have thought of any of like what was poe doing for money i think well he might be the only one you get the history of (laughs) you're like oh he was in a gutter somewhere oh no (laughs) Right, we can tie this in with tuberculosis and scared straight, so we'll put all this together. (laughs) We can talk about Poe, but- (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to be that.
2: who knows? Yeah, Shakespeare, right, exactly. Yeah, Dickens, I mean, yeah, Dickens was, obviously you sort of got a sense of his living and some teachers talk about it, but still it was like these things were manifested almost as separate entities.
1: It's very mystical. You know, it's just, these are the the heroes. These are the only options you have, read through them. And now we're seeing such a, a bigger change. Now, what were you into as a kid? What were the other creative pursuits? If you were drawing, what were you, what were the games
2: at home? What was the, oh, yeah, what was your life games. like? Yeah, I did a lot of them. I started to learn like programming as a kid, like basic programming. And uh, I ran a bullet board system out of my house without my parents knowing it. Like they gave me a phone line, which was like, I was like, what if I just plug that into my computer and had totally random people call me in the middle of the night? um which is probably not safe but at that time parents had no idea what kids were doing like zero zero idea not even a little bit I'd be like I'm five miles from home on a bike and they're like whatever who cares if we lose you we lose you it was stranger things times yeah it was very stranger things is very accurate so like we're watching that with my son right now and I'm sometimes like no this is real he's like I don't do any of this stuff I'm like yeah be-. I'm like I don't because we really... know what you would have done, like yeah, like I, yeah, we know what would have happened. There's probably a balance somewhere, where maybe you should be doing some of this, but not all of this, like I did. Uh, I was, you know, drawing, writing, um, I was playing role-playing games, like and actually later ended up working freelance to write role-playing games. So it sort of dovetailed into that experience. For about ten years, I did that.
1: That's so cool.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Purple.
1: Uh, th- a curveball for sure. I, I love that because there's so many ways that writing can be incorporated into the way that we experience things. Uh, did you have a favorite kind of
2: role-playing piece that you wrote? Oh, definitely horror stuff. Yeah. I worked a lot for White Wolf Games studio. So I did a lot of the vampire werewolf, you know, mage monster hunter type stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun.
1: Now, uh, how did it feel to return to your characters? To, you know, be hitting. The people that you knew from the past, you know,
2: the people who were yeah. returning in this book, uh, welcoming and easy, which sounds strange, but they they were fairly. I mean, maybe they should be after writing an 800-page book the first time, uh, but they were fairly well defined in my mind. They were cut, um, you know, they have impressions on my my brain fairly easily, so it was easy to return to those impressions, um, and get right back to work. Um, so that was, and that's really the reason that I came back to do a sequel um it wasn't something that was destined from the beginning to write a second book um but the characters you know because the first book kind of wraps some things up there's some stuff that's left out but it's sort of left to be like well this can be mysterious and this part of the story is over um but the characters are really why you come or at least why i came back why i wanted to go back because there's so much to talk about still with them and to take them new places um so yeah no i found it easy and rewarding once i could get there think
1: rewarding makes sense Uh that is an interesting point because i i also wouldn't have thought because that that kind of like horror post-apocalyptic genre you do kind of expect that one piece and you go wow that made me think a lot of things yes and so how was what was your process like for drafting kind of wayward for drafting this round
2: two or this next step in the plan well uh wanders itself was weird yeah wanders is weird on its own because um I always say that it's the book that taught me that I don't know how to write books, Um, which sounds terrible, but it was really great because it was like, you know, I I sort of had, had, I would say mythologized my process for so long that when that process failed me for Wanderers, like I didn't outline and I always outline. Um, When that failed me for that, it was jarring at first, but it became good to realize like, oh, I can do things differently. I don't have to follow this sort of core path and I don't have to tell the same kind of story. I can really mix it up and change it. Uh, Wayward was even more of that. And I think it was just in part the pandemic being the pandemic, this sort of area of effect ambient trauma that we were all going through. But I barely remember writing it. Uh, I sort of fugged out. I mean, not in the literal sense where I would simply like wake up and covered in like Cheeto dust and there'd be a story. But I mean, (laughs) there was this sense like day to day, I would literally have to go back. I mean, and I try to do this as a practice, but I would have to go back and reread the day's. Former writing, just to sort of reorient myself. Like, did I did I work yesterday? Like, what happened? And then, by the time I was done the book, I was literally like, "What happened in this book?" I don't I don't remember it. I'm like, "Oh my god!" I'm almost afraid to turn this in because is this like just going to be all work and no play type of thing? Is this a Jack Torrance in The Shining moment? Uh, And when I turned it in, I got notes from my editor that it worked really well and she liked it. Like, I don't say that to brag. It's not all my books return that kind of edit letter. Uh, it was doubly shocking to me that somehow like i wish fugue state chuck wendick could write more books because maybe i'd have nicer edit letters if i could just let whoever took over took over yeah fugue
1: state uh fugue state you made it easier on future you for edits <laughs> really, really yeah <laughs> the idea of getting you know that moment where you're like okay this is done have no clue what i'm handing in yeah, no and idea. it comes back and you're like oh we made it we tricked him did it. somehow <laughs> we, we tricked him that's always how it feels when did you feel like you actually knew what was going on in the book? In the editing process in the I mean of course you always had the sense but going from that moment where you're like I can't believe I wrote anything yesterday to yeah. I can't
2: believe I have this manuscript here when did it kind of sink in? Yeah, it was the editing process because then I could you know I had like normally it's weird because like I always say you're trying to get to the point in a book with editing it that you want to feel like some other jerk wrote this thing because it's easier To sort of tackle those edits and feel comfortable being like, you know what, that doesn't work. If you don't feel precious about it,
1: it. yeah, yeah,
2: it's like there's just this great separation from between you and the work, and it gets easier to mess with it. So uh, it was faster and easier this time because I already didn't really remember writing it. So I was like, some other jerk wrote this Uh, immediately. So it was easy to get back into it and to um, tinker through it. But it was really fairly well. What, What I wrote in the first draft is largely what emerged in the second. Um, And so I had a full picture of it at that point.
1: Now, kind of looking back at your character work, how do you go about coming up with characters? You've got what sounds like quite an interesting background. And you've written across so many different types of
2: just reading materials. How do you create a character? It's I mean, it's different every time some characters sort of Mm -hmm. emerge whole cloth, right? They just sort of out of your head be like, I demand to be heard. And some are you know, you have to tease it out and you're trying to look like with Wanderers very specifically, I was like, I know that I'm going to be dealing with this big thing, this pandemic that's unfolding these sleepwalkers and the rise of, you know, Christian fascism and then artificial intelligence. Like, it was just a lot to deal with, but I'm like, I can't, I don't want it to just be that narrow sort of horror movie experience of like five people who are friends going through this thing. Like I want different people from different You know, a a young girl in rural Pennsylvania versus a, a sort of a disgraced CDC investigator are two very different perspectives, but it gives you different ways into this story. And so having like multiple avenues in was sort of what the design was from the beginning, just like let's think about what makes the most interesting multi headed Hydra point of view experience for the readers. And then bringing those people together, and then you have agitation and drama and sort of allyship and these these people coming together to form a weird sort of community, uh, makes it interesting to me, both in a sort of a satisfying character thing, but also in a sort of a gaming out the, you know, what the reader is going to experience by.
1: Right. Well, and it also, like you said, it, it gives different entry points, but it's also that kind of like what a community would really be like at the end of the world. It's not, you know, a band of brothers trying to just make it, you know, we're not Winchestering our way across America. It's very much. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Now, speaking of the multi-headed Hydra harnessing so many different points of view um, all over the country, throughout the novel, how did you choose this device to enhance
2: your writing? Um, in the same way that I talk about characters like I I think it's just creates a more diverse um in all the ways that that can mean and so the rhythmic experience right because like I I am far too um you know completely broken brained to write something that goes you know I know writers who can pick and write you know chapter I'm gonna write chapter 18 today and then 30 tomorrow I'm just gonna do the things that interest I cannot do it I can't keep that in my head I will I will die Uh, flailing and thrashing about in the water of my own prose. I need to write from the beginning, chapter after chapter. But the advantage that that gives me is that it allows me to take that journey a little bit along with the reader. I am going as they would experience it also. So I can suss out more easily like, hey, the rhythm here needs something different. We can't just like accelerate endlessly through this piece. Like we need to, like I need to drop off and we need something humorous or something sad or something. We just sort of get a sense of what fits there. So again, it's almost that game-like component of like trying to figure out what makes this interesting quilt, uh, character experience and point of view and, and story. It's almost like where to sneak in the cuts, sc-
1: the cutscenes to, right. you know, have that moment of breath, have that moment yes. of tension.
3: Battleship is a fun board game. A lot of us played as kids. As an adult, Calendar Battleship is the frustrating game you play with your doctor, trying to find when you're both free for an appointment, like in three months. With ZocDoc, booking an appointment with a doctor that suits your needs, fits your schedule, is in your network, and in your neighborhood is easy.
1: You know... I'm getting older, and with that, I'm starting to think of all of the things I didn't do in my early 20s, like finding a dermatologist. But with ZocDoc, it was easy and quick to find a dermatologist in my area and in my network. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them.
3: On ZocDoc, you can find every specialist under the sun. Whether you're trying to straighten those teeth, fix an achy back, get that mole checked out, or anything else... Zocdoc has you covered. Every month, millions of people use Zocdoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor.
1: Go to zocdoc.com/slash/probooknerds and download the Zocdoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's zocdoc.com/slash/probooknerds. Zocdoc.com/slash/probooknerds. How do you go about creating a world, whether it is something like this, where you're borrowing elements of things that, you know, you're already experiencing in day-to-day and saying, this is the worst that could happen. Or on the flip side, when you're putting something in entire fantasy space, what's...
2: As in world, like world building? Yeah, world building. Yeah, absolutely. World building is tricky because I always... I'm used to saying, and I, I still mostly agree with myself on this one, but I, you know, it's why I think writing advice is just ultimately sort of a sweet, wonderful nonsense. That you know, you sort of tell the bits of the world that the reader needs to know to keep going. And if you overwhelm them with too much, then I think you can kind of bog them down. But at the same time, if you do it right, there's also a fattest flavor component to it, right? Like you sometimes you just want to say some things that maybe aren't 100% essential or necessary in a, in a fulfilling the equation kind of way um, that it's just going to keep people... There's like a textural issue. And umami, like I would sometimes call it narrative umami. Like you're trying to just like <laughs> give some depth to what's going on. And that's not even necessarily a plot mechanism thing. Like I really need to know this to go on, but just I need to, I want to feel this to go on. Um, so it's just kind of balancing those things out. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters to me is that it's interesting. It's not interesting that it should probably go.
1: I appreciate that because it made you're writing very accessible for me because right. That's you, you hit the nail on the head. That's usually where I get lost. It's the, the, the depth of the world
2: building where I'm just like,
1: okay. Yeah. And, and this is important when, where, Oh, oh yeah. it's
2: not. If I, I start like in a fantasy or a science fiction novel and suddenly yep. it's like, and then the Jigar are the going to the seventh heaven in the king. I'm like, and I, if I, by the second sentence, like, I don't understand anything. I feel I can already feel myself pulling, and that's on me, not the writers. They're, that can be a really great mode of storytelling. It's just not for me.
1: I I, I totally respect it. I know it's other people's yeah. cup of tea. I know it's not mine, so I not tend mine. to avoid it. Yeah, I am uh, not smart
2: enough for it. I can't. Like what? Okay, and I'm out. I feel
1: like I need to have a dictionary in hand, yes. but then also when I'm flipping through, I'm not yeah. gonna find anything because they're not real. They're not real. I'm yeah. I'm gonna struggle. Yeah. <laughs> I like me some horror where it's just like, yeah, we might name this entity and tell you exactly what yeah. evil it is. Or the scariest part could be that you'll never know. you like, never that's... know. It's terrifying and it's hunting you. Yeah, exactly. Right.
2: The calls are coming from inside the house. You're going to get me every time. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that tension mystery hook in Perfect Company.
0: and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.
1: Looking at time jumps, because now, of course, I'm looking to dissect all of the different structure choices you've made. (laughs) You decided on a five-year jump between Wanders and Wayward. How did you
2: decide on that period of time? What was your motivation? It's both uh ideally mechanical for the plot and also interesting i think narratively because you get mechanically for the plot um if we are to believe that you know the the survivors are going to wake up at the end of a pandemic when it is no longer a threat to them then you need that thing to burn out officially And i thought five years is a pretty good time for a <laughs> the pandemic is over not that we're living through this exact scenario now uh <laughs> but considering it kills most of the people in the book. Um, that way it burns to the population and whoever's left is left. So, and then narratively, it's ideally, hopefully fingers crossed, satisfying that um you get that jump and you are just a little unmoored in mm-hmm. that space. You're not necessarily so you're, you're not you too a, comfortable. Yeah, you're not too comfortable. It's that you know, you get that with lost for which is much as a show that it completely unspooled at times, it sometimes did a really good job to drop you in a sort of a familiar, unfamiliar place. And you're like, why? Is that person doing this now? Why? Whether it's in the flashbacks or the flash forwards, you're like, I totally am fascinated by this thing I know appearing different. And so it's it's, a, it's again that fish hook sort of buried in the in the cheek that'll pull you hopefully along.
1: As you said that, I just I just thought of Jack meeting Kate in the parking lot, saying, right. "We got to go back, Kate." And yeah, the, the first time they did a flash forward, yep. You're like, what they do get off the island? I knew you. Like, what? <laughs> well, That's. That's such a great point because a lot of times, like when you had first called out, you know, not a a band of friends, I thought of like Zombieland or any of those those styles of movies where you're seeing the same people. And even when there are sequel sensations, it's still so little time that you're just like, okay, cool we believe that they survived the first one and the second one but now we're just making it like a month at a time at this point right right where are the stakes and that yeah. that jump really does provide stakes but also going like well we know what the old world was like but now we have to refamiliarize ourselves. right um, yeah
2: and it gives you advantage too that you can you know like as a storyteller you can just mess with more stuff five years later than you can like the next day you just can, like, when five years, a lot can happen and I can make things happen according to what I need them to be for the story. So
1: You've you know. got a little more of the, like, liberties without anyone screaming plot hole because you can say, hey, oh, yeah. you don't know what happened in the last five years.
2: Exactly. Yeah, And I'm going
1: <laughs> to tell you. Exactly.
2: If you read along.
1: Uh, so you've done game and scream write, screenwriting, screenwriting, yeah. middle screenwriting. grade. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes no, you, I do screenwriting. Just... All of my
2: writing is, I think, screenwriting at the end of the day. <laughs>
1: Uh, But so aside from game and screen, middle grade, YA, comic, short stories, nonfiction, what has been your favorite
2: format, age range, and genre? Oh, it's definitely writing horror novels for adults is my jam. It's kind of what I've always wanted to do. And it's, I'm happy to be able to do it. Everything else is kind of like icing on that cake, but that's the cake. And cake in the way that it's like the good cake, not like... You want to farm the icing off the top of it but like that kind of thing where you're like no the cake is really the good whole there. thing is good yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so um i mean i love everything else but some of those sure formats and also the industries are just so different and strange and sometimes really <laughs> unforgiving publishing feels unforgiving until you try to work in comics or hollywood uh and then you're like yeah. back to publishing i go it's so <laughs> sweet there it's a wonderful kind nice comforting place I've had the
1: the wonderful chance to talk to people as they first step into like having something adapted. Oh, and you know like okay so so what's it like this has been in in progress for a little while now and they're like I thought publishing was slow this is yeah. oh, I insane.
2: hope to see it before I die is how yeah. it ends up going. <laughs> yeah, I always tell people like the big difference between publishing and like Hollywood is that in New York publishing, everything is a no before it is a yes. Mm-hmm. But in Hollywood, everything is yes before it's no. And it's yeah. really hard to sort of get over that. Like if you, someone's like, yeah, we're going to publish your book. Smart Money says it's going to happen unless something really derails you. Like, yep. but if someone says we're going to make this TV show, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> they're just they're
1: not. <laughs> they're not. Right. You could be just joining the, the stacks of scripts that are like, yeah, we did purchase the rights to this. Yes. Goodbye. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: We'll lock yeah. that closet today. Yeah, it's all I mean, like all the options and stuff is like mm-hmm. it's like an intellectual property Airbnb. Like I'm just gonna rent this for like 18 months, and maybe if I like it, and no, I don't like it, I'm out. Changing I'll of See guard if I can start. get
1: any investors with my investors to yes. think yeah, if they want to advertise. To, yeah, yep,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. Who's hot right now? Oh, they just got canceled, so now we've got to <laughs> right exactly. They had to write an apology letter in the notes app on Twitter. So sorry. I think we're just gonna scrap it. Sorry, yeah. but yeah. yeah, best of are luck you, out there. Who are you? If, So, you recently posted a blog on your website, TerribleMinds.com, in response to why you don't really write about writing anymore. And you mentioned this a little earlier. You broke it down to the slow demise of blog traction. The more you write, the less you know about writing. And third, that folks take your word a little too close to law. But it's also a chance to shout out one of your new uh, projects here, which is Gentle Writing Advice. Do you want to talk a bit about Gentle Writing Advice?
2: Oh, yeah. That comes out in, I think, June. Um, yeah, I, it was funny. I was supposed to be writing for Writers' Digest, a book about, it was actually kind of a sequel to my book called Damn Fine Story, and it was going to tackle storytelling and sort of fracture it out into genres. So how the genres have shared bones, but also how you can sort of make use of the different genres. Um, and then Writers' Digest, uh, kind of went insolvent. And for a time, I didn't even know if there was any more books. So Penguin bought them. And the new editor, approached me. he was like, well, we still want that book. Uh, And by then it was like, Twitter was becoming a sort of hostile Thunderdome realm and people, the pandemic made all of us a little more feral. And I'm like, I don't really want to get into internecine genre wars. Like, I don't want to make any statements about genre because dear God, that's like, ooh. So I like tried writing that book and then I ended up, I did write like one piece on genre, but it ended up being this kind of like, none of this is real it's all like i don't want to talk about this kind of thing and so i i followed my nose on it so to speak to you know write this book of sort of gentle counterintuitive contrary writing advice and the reason what it comes from was there were some threads on twitter that were um this writer who who was doing these kind of harsh threads of writing advice like all your writers are your competition you've got to kill them and eat them and um He was very serious about it and was very wise to delete that early before it gained too much of that traction. Because again, Twitter can be a little feral. But I, you know, I was putting these tweets out in the world that were gentler on the writing advice spectrum. And um, I sort of give the reasons for that in the book that it's like, well, you know, when I started, you know, both in freelance and then moving into writing novels, a lot of the writing advice was, you know, especially when I was really early starting out, really sort of literary like oh I'm gonna go listen to the clouds and we're gonna you know you just have to write one book every 10 years and it's this kind of like it's fine just you know you're gonna have your tenure at your professorial job and then you're gonna I was like oh okay but then you know you read some of the advice from some people who are kind of like self-proclaimed hacks like you know Lawrence Block or something where you're like oh, okay this is like down to earth how to you know rubber meets road how to, how to make the words happen uh, harsh truth kind of a thing and so we started telling those to each other in, in a way because it was honestly a service to be like hey there are some realities to this that you really need to understand but i think we did that and that is now the dominant mode of writing advice wherever it's like it's tough kid you got to write your 2000 words a day every day you're going to die in the trenches and that's also not true and i feel like there was like a a, a gentler middle ground to find a place where you can be like hey process is a, is a broken mirror and there's a lot of things you can do that are yours and here's how to be kind to yourself, especially in a pandemic era where everything feels all the more broken toothed uh, than it used to be. We're all a very raw nerve, um, as I said, feral Twitter. So I thought, let's speak to that. And like, how do you, and it, it, in terms of me writing wayward and having the, the difficulties writing that, like I wanted to talk about that and be sort of frank and honest about how you approach writing in a different way when it's feels hard to do so. Which is is so exciting to see
1: because, right, I mean, even when we would as like a student get the background of well this is what it's really like to be an author and you do think of that like Whitman sitting under a tree blades of grass he's got <laughs> right. you know one thing coming out and his name's going to be known forever yeah but, but that's that's one person and there are a lot of writers out there yes. and and right when you have to think of okay but how do I have dental insurance who's going to pay for my glasses and right. yeah. you know and I don't want to teach kids how to write so yeah. so what are my options <laughs> so what, I, what do I do here <laughs> but also just seeing the shift of like, yeah, Twitter can be a, a wasteland and you do have that really feral side. But then when you flip and see that more positive end of, I think of a lot of the YA authors who yes. lift each other up or who have formed friendships. And so it's just like this great daisy chain of shout outs. Half yeah. the time of like, my friend just published this book and, and you love to see it. And yeah. it's, it's also nice to see that that's just being reflected everywhere else and we're trying to wait for the rest of the world to catch up like right hey here's what worked for me here's some things that maybe they
2: always told us to do that have some truth but yeah yeah and so much of writing advice is like trend-based anyway I mean the the, the classics we've referred to earlier um, do not fit any of the trends we have now uh, and you know they'll be that way in 10 20 years like they're going to be I mean, even when I started you know publishing novels 10 years ago things are pretty different now as to what is more common or expected i mean horror is a genre it was 10 years ago anathema you didn't publish a horror novel 10 years ago
1: no so, not at all
2: yeah and you know people would give that advice oh you can't write horror now don't write horror so but if no one ever wrote horror we still wouldn't have it right. now someone has to write it so and it's it's that weird
1: like let's play the game of terminology that no one really has the right. the thesaurus for <laughs> um, it's that that whole like oh yeah well no that's a gothic and it's like. Yeah, but what? what's what's the second word after Gothic? Oh, it's horror. Yeah. So we can write it because yeah. Mary Shelley
2: was doing it. So yeah. aren't
1: aren't we allowed to? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I remember like when I published Blackbirds. Yeah. The first publisher that published it, like I wrote that as a horror crime novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first publisher called it urban fantasy, which very explicitly was not urban fantasy. Nope. And then when we went to a second publisher on the Schuster then ended up publishing it later, they called it supernatural suspense. Because they were like, Well, we want you to be like Joe Hill. So he writes supernatural oh. suspense. Yep. And I was like, yeah but does he though like or does he maybe just write horror and say, yeah. say the word <laughs> just
1: say horror right I, I, that is I found I found my new kind of sweet spot of reading and it really has turned into horror and I'm just like oh you mean <laughs> all the books that I've been reading before that were all in this vein that someone told me was a this kind of thriller or a, that kind of mystery yep. horror has been horror all <laughs> yeah, been
2: horror. Yeah, Like, imagine oh,
1: that horror is just a vibe <laughs> and it's all over Right. And, and you get so many wonderful little kind of just bites of horror because you can take that in a thousand different directions. And it's, it's that really cool kind of splintering that you see. It's like, I know people love to just like slap the word literature on a book and it's like, well, that doesn't tell me what I'm getting into here. Like, am I about to eat, pray, love, or, you know, am I going into (laughs) like beloved, you know? And yes, (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. talk about horror supernatural yeah, we'll horror probably, right there 100 yeah but that will just get the literature so. yes yeah love to see it <laughs> now looking at wayward before i wrap into uh some of the questions from just a nosy podcaster is there anything you'd like the listeners to take away anything that you want out there in the world about this book about this kind of series are we looking at a duology are we looking at more in the future. Just anything you want to spill about. <laughs> oh
2: yeah. Uh oh, there's a there's a golden retriever in it. That's fun. Um who doesn't love that? Yeah, there's a possum in it. That's that's a lot of fun too. Uh so that's all I really want to say is there's a good no, um I don't yeah, I don't have any plans. <laughs> and we'll leave series. it at that. Right, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. There's a golden retriever, <laughs> goodbye. And then I eject. <laughs> um yeah, like I don't have plans to write more. It's currently a duology, but if there's it's the same way I was with Wanderers, if The two things collide, which is a lot of people read it. And then I have an idea for a third book, I would write a third book I, I'm never anathema to it certainly there's a world here. um, And there are characters and there is an unfolding situation that will always be in this universe. Um, So I can certainly revisit it. um, And I do have ideas for like, if I were writing a third one, what would that look like but Um, there's nothing firm or, and that's a a situation deeply in flux. I have other stuff coming up that will not be that.
1: I also really like that energy that it's just like, I'm not closing the door, but. No,
2: well, that's the thing, Because like when I started out, like so much of publishing was that like three book series deal. And it's really damning for the author and hard for the author, because by the time you're, you know, you've released that first book, And then the publisher's like, debut, this is great, we love it. And he gets a lot of attention and energy. But then the second book comes out and they're like, well, the first book should have done it. And then half the people buy the second book because no one has heard about it and bookstore orders are cut. But then while the second one is being received less significantly than the first one, you're actually writing the third book and you're supposed to bring a lot of energy and excitement to the third book, but you're seeing how the second book isn't hitting as well. If the first one even hit the first place, and so instead of building on something, you just feel like it's a slowly deflating balloon. <laughs> and you're like, oh, what if I just kill everybody? And just so if you're actually weird. obligated to complete this. So... Exactly. That's how it feels. You're like, well, this was like two to three years of my life. This was perhaps a poor uh, decision. That's That is also just a
1: really interesting perspective of... The first one comes out, you have that smash, you're already working on the second. But as you're in the process of second, third, that's when you're seeing the reception and yeah. how defeating that has to be. How or be or uplifting, but everyone knows book two always gets that like yes. harsh hit when it's when they when the folks know that it's going to be an arc or they know yeah. it's going to be, you know, is it three books? Is it going to be 10 books? But once they know it's more than uh
2: two books, they're like. Ugh. whatever and then you're hearing the people tell you like well i only buy a series when it's all done and you're like well then you just guaranteed that you'll never finish that series you just (laughs) cursed everyone (laughs) you just told the author well yeah i don't care enough yet you're like no but you have to care because hand me five books and then i will i will visit you like no i that's too long
1: Right. you're not going to let
2: me publish five if you don't buy five right you got to buy all of them Got to buy them. those are go. the secrets yeah this works
1: <laughs> support your authors support yeah. your libraries yeah you got to do it so i like to wind down with some questions from a nosy podcaster uh these are just the fun you know mm-hmm. what would we want to know uh just about your day-to-day and the first one of course is what are you reading or listening to right now
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I just finished um, Andy Davidson's *The Hollow Kind* horror novel; it was really good. And I'm reading uh, Christopher Golden's uh, *All hollows uh, which is fun. I just got a copy of uh, Margot Price's memoir uh, *Maybe We'll Make It*, um, and I love her music, and uh, so I'm excited to read that. Uh, yeah, I think that that covers me for that. I, I Stephanie Feldman's *Saturnalia*. Well, it's a re- I have a huge TBR. It'll kill me. It'll crush me. One day. And if I die under a pile of my unread books, there are worse ways to go. You know, that's kind of a way I'm cool with going. Yeah. Yeah. Because I want an obituary that'll be. Right. Crushed under the weight
1: of his own, of just inability to read books fast yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. Sold.
2: I'll take it. Uh, what are you binge watching right now? We are back to Stranger Things because my okay. kid is fine. He's like 11. So he's been up until this point, be like, no, too scary. Don't want to watch it. Got it. And then something about the Halloween vibe, he's just like, maybe we'll start Stranger Things. I was like, okay, we'll just try our first episode. And he he has been like every night, like, Stranger Things, right? Stranger Things? Stranger Things. Yep. <laughs> we're gonna do it. Oh Man, what was it like having a kid at home during the
1: pandemic?
2: Oh, weird. Like, really weird. Like, both weirdly wonderful at times. I mean, it's hard. It's not all bad. Like, I got to spend time with him more so than usual, which is wonderful. But then over time, you sort of become the curators of their educational experience, which is not what parents should be doing. Like parents always think like, well, my, I'm with my kids and I can help them with everything, but there's some. That's what the
1: experts like, are for. Yeah. you yeah.
2: <laughs> really cannot teach our kids. It's why your kid is like, I don't want to learn how to tie my shoes dad. But then like a stranger is like, you just do this. And they're like, great. Thanks. Thanks. stranger. <laughs> well, on TikTok, I learned the rabbit yes. goes through the hole and exactly. I'm sold. Yeah. Oh, that, that was the secret. I should have just given him TikTok. Probably not. But <laughs> It's worth an experiment for the future. So um, good and weird and, uh, you know, just vaguely threatening. You're like, well, please don't breathe that in. And like, it's weird too, because like other kids would be like, yeah, my parents just, we play a game called cough in your mouth. We go to restaurants and we just cough in each other's mouths all day. And you're like, don't, I know your friends do all of these things, but we don't necessarily do those things yet. But we're
1: trying to be careful and safe in this home. Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, exactly.
1: the dad would like to tour one day again. Thank you. <laughs> right. Please. Please, sir. <laughs> Oh, uh, when I say public library, what comes to mind?
2: Uh, I mean, I used to work with public library. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and a good, good memory, good working there. Like I loved working there. Um, it was a, uh, you learn, I mean, like you don't learn it by going, you learn by working there, how really important it is and how important it is not just, um, from a, well, I like, go get books there, but also like we, you know, I work in part for the office, uh, that we work with underserved communities. So, um, uh, visual and hearing impaired, and um, uh, elderly outreach, and uh, trying to job market stuff like getting people jobs, um, and then I also split my time with the teen librarians, and you start to realize you're like, because that was like, you know, YA. There's like, well, publishing obviously started YA. I'm like, no, 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 no. Libraries really, really, Libraries, absolutely, absolutely the thing that churned forth from YA. Like you could see, oh, yeah. I was just at the cusp of twilight, really hitting the library scene before it hit anywhere else and uh the teen librarians were like "This is book twilight and here's going to hang the poster you everybody's got to read it and I was like what is this book I don't even know what this is uh Uh, and then you know a year or two later it's like boom twilight is everything and everywhere global phenomenon absolutely
1: my uh my first job I was a library page and so I was the one putting books back on the shelf and (laughs) nothing will teach you how much your community needs access to those resources and I know like we're preaching to the choir with our, our listeners today but the idea that why I was absolutely born out of librarians need of like, how do I help these kids who don't really want to talk to me, right. but do need those book recommendations? Because generally
2: nudge a book her I'm like, <clears>
1: throat> exactly. Throat> I mean, for me, it was right. Twilight, the Percy Jackson series. I'm yeah. just about that old. Uh, and, and all of those things, like they all piece together that you're like, yeah, without without someone who knew at least a little better than me saying, right. if I just slide this book in front of him, he'll probably read it. I know they'll eyeball him. Like, ah, okay. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite restaurant to go to?
2: Oh, that's a, a hard one. Uh, mm-hmm. ooh, I don't know if I have a favorite. We just, we'll take a, a couple. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a restaurant near us in a place called Lamberville, New Jersey um, okay. called under the moon. Oh, and it still has outdoor seating. Uh, and uh, boy, they just it's, it's fun, it's a neat place They still have their Halloween up So it's like, you, we went just last yep. night, Or no, the night before And it was like, witches and cauldrons and stuff And I was like, you know what? Spooky does not need to be over <laughs> Just because November <laughs> hits Right uh, So yeah that's, like, that's I still
1: it. needed three more days of of right. Halloween You're yes. right Yeah. <laughs> Keep the witches before the pilgrims come and get them <laughs> Precisely uh, what project that you can talk about, of course, are you
2: working on right now? Uh, I am editing my evil Apple book. Oh, uh, yeah. I have a horror book about the um, evil apples that make people into sort of a cult of narcissists, basically. Oh. <laughs> so it's sort of like a little full car and it's set in Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah. History sort of feeds into it. And I have this weird love of heirloom apples. And uh, I was like, I'm going to turn because I'm a fundamentally lazy writer. I'm like, if I'm interested in something and I've learned a lot about it, how do I turn this into a horror novel is my question. Like, I don't I don't do the other way. Like, I have an idea. Let's research. I'm like, I've already researched. Let's, right. let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs>
1: how do I put um, my uh, current fixation into? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So I love that. Yeah, I love that because that's usually some of my most favorite reads are the ones where like where else would I have heard of this yes. where else would I've gotten this like Valley of the dolls experience, but it's right. apples and PA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we'll see. So in a, roughly a year. that's coming hey, out. I think. We'll, we'll be on the
2: lookout. Yeah.
1: Um, and then before we wrap, where can the listeners find you online?
2: Well, I, depending on when this airs, Twitter still exists <laughs> <Right>. for <laughs> now, for now it still has not yet caught entire fire. Um, but I'm there at Chuck Wendig, but, um, I also have a blog, if you remember those, <laughs> TerribleMinds.com. And uh, I did a blog today and it, people read it and it has like, it's comments. Like, I was like, oh, blogging's still here. We did it. We're we're returning to our
1: roots. The internet yes. is healing. Tumblr's yeah. alive again.
2: Nature <laughs> is <choose> healing.
1: It's on the back. That's right.
2: Automatic has it.
1: Well, Chuck, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. And listeners, of course, make sure you check out Wayward out November 15th. And as always, happy reading.
3: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit ProfessionalBookNerds.com. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey.